production. Do you want 2023 to be the year you bring your dreams and desires into reality? As you may know, manifestation has been a big part of my practice for a long time now, and through my research and study, I have developed a manifestation course just for you. This course is broken up into six immersive audio modules with printable worksheets. I cover topics like unlocking your emotions so you can receive what you truly desire, understanding the quantum field and how to connect to it, letting go of control and resistance to set manifestation into motion, and embracing and embodying gratitude in order to bring your dreams and desires into reality. This course covers all my teachings and I feel so honoured to be able to share them with you. Manifest Your Greatness is available for purchase at the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com. Laura Henshaw is a co-founder of the global health brand Keep It Cleaner and co-host of the podcast KickPod. Laura has devoted her professional career to promoting body positivity, self-acceptance and helping others make sustainable changes towards a healthier, happier lifestyle. This conversation traverses many realms, setting healthy boundaries, following a mission greater than yourself and finding self-confidence amongst the keyboard warriors. Something that I had to work through was when my confidence was tied to validation from other people and what other people thought of me. I had to disconnect from that because otherwise I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I'm not getting any validation, I'm not getting these feelings, so I'm going to feel shit because I was waiting on other people to make me feel confident in who I was, but that is up to me. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Laura Henshaw is the co-author of two books, Kicking Goals and her newest book, You Take Care. In its essence, this conversation is about how to build a life of greater joy and enhance personal fulfilment so you can contribute to the greater well-being of all. My hope is that Laura's story reminds you that when you have meaning and purpose in your life, anything is possible. Laura Henshaw, welcome to A Life of Greatness. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's so nice to be in the studio together I again. I know. <laughs> it's nice to be in the studio together again. And this time we're in the same studio, but we've got my background up. Which is, it is lovely. Yes. I, I really like it. Every time you're recording and we're recording at the same time and we walk past this beautiful artwork, I just it's like very calming and peaceful. Yes. You've just done so many amazing things in Thank your you. life, but I want to start at the beginning and talk about your background and your upbringing. You're only 30 now, so that wasn't too long ago. But yeah, tell us a bit about growing up. Good good question. It's funny you say it wasn't that long ago because it does feel like <laughs> I've got horrible... My memory is quite funny and some of the things that I... Maybe it's 
that I need to talk to someone about <laughs> putting memories away and not, not revisiting them again. Um, but childhood. So I was really lucky. I grew up in a family that was, I went to a really nice school. Uh, I had really beautiful family values, love sport. Sport was a big part of my childhood. And I think too, it's helped me so much when you think about kind of how your upbringing has, has impacted yes. the path that you then take in life. I think sport especially really taught me about the power of team, which now I obviously with kick and everything that yeah. we do, it has really helped me understand that the biggest lesson I learned from sport and team sport was I was never very good or so. <laughs> I've got to put that out there. I was always in the B team, but I always tried and I tried every, in my high school, I loved it because there was two sports per term. And we got to try out for one of them. And mm. it didn't matter to me if I'd done it before. I just thought, oh, my God, how cool would it be to play softball? So, you know, I went in and, and did that. I was always always in the B team, though. And what I learned was that one individual does not win a game. Yes. You win together. And I think seeing in sports teams and also my, my husband played quite, well, professional-ish football growing up, I've learned a lot from him as well in terms of in a team if you finish a game and someone's had a really good game but the team's lost, obviously you're not happy because your team's lost and yeah. you're there for the team. But there are people that at the end of the game if they've played a really, really good game, they will be really happy even if their team has lost. And I think that has taught me a lot about the people that we want to have in our team with what we're building at yes. Kick. Team sport was a big, big, big part of my childhood and growing up. And then I think if I think of the moments that were probably the most defining, and another one would be when my parents separated when I was 12. Mm-hmm. So I was going into high school. Uh, I mean, there, there were a few people in my year level that had also had came from separated families. But again, the world has come a really, really long way. We speak mm. about things a lot more now. But at the time, I felt very isolated, like I was the only kid that kind of was going through that. And because of that, I learned a lot, especially from my mum around, we actually had a magnet on our fridge and it said, a man is not a financial plan. And that's what we had growing up. Oh my God, that's um, hilarious. Yeah, which is great. And my, like, my parents both supported us and, and everything, yeah. but that to me was, I walked past it every single day when I wanted to, I mean, I went to the fridge a lot as a kid, as you do, yes. and looking for snacks after school. And that was always there. And so I think for me learning that, and I think too, with, with my parents' separation, something that was really stressful for my family was like, while we were absolutely fine in terms of money, like we had food and I, I went to yeah. school and all those things, our financial situation was something that they did. My parents did argue about a lot. It was, uh, my memories are that was kind of the core of mm. the fights that I would hear or listen to. And so I think for me, knowing that, and then with mum, having that on, on the fridge, it made me really, really cautious that I wanted, I didn't want to have financial stress in my life. Yes. So I've really, really tried to work as hard as I can. And, and I think when I say that, I also know that you can work really, really hard and it doesn't mean that things always come to mm. you. Like I've had a lot of privilege in, in the family that I grew up in and just in life in general, like luck comes into it, obviously. But it, it really did teach me. I just wanted to work really, really hard because I knew that I wanted to take control of my life and I didn't want to rely yes. on anyone else to, to support me. And if I really wanted something, I learned that, for example, when I wanted to buy a car, my parents didn't have the money to give me to buy a car. So... I ended up, that was in, was I, when I was 18, I deferred uni and I worked in the day at a hospital and then I would waitress at night. Wow. And that taught me, I mean, I hated admin work at the hospital. It really taught me that that wasn't what I wanted to do, yeah. but it really, it taught me that if I wanted something, I had to work for it. Yes. And that 
mentality and I suppose way of living has really helped me. I, I think it helps because you don't wait around waiting for things to come to you. You no. don't just expect things yes. are going to come to you. You that have privilege to work for them. There. Exactly yeah. right. So there were some really important lessons that I learned. I wonder, up. as a twelve-year-old, having your parents separate. And I've spoken to a lot of people whose parents have separated, even now sometimes as adults, mm-hmm. when their parents separate and they're in their 40s or 50s, that can be so hard. There's no age where it becomes really easy. And I wonder for you how you moved through that time. For two years, I didn't tell anyone. Wow. So I would tell my friends that my dad was out when they came over for a sleepover or I I usually wouldn't invite them because I didn't want to be in a position where I had to make something up. But if I did get in the position where they were over, I would say, oh, dad's working late tonight or dad won't be home tonight. I was so embarrassed by it. And I think I thought that to have a kind of, in quotation marks, happy family, your parents had to be together. And and I remember, I mean, my poor parents, I, I was the oldest and I had two younger sisters, one's three years and one's six years younger than me. And so I felt like I had to be the counsellor, which I didn't, obviously. They did yeah. not expect that of me, but that was the role that I decided to take on. So I would listen to their arguments and then I would say, well, actually, you know, this is when I'm, well, I was yeah. probably 10 at this age. This is what this person's saying and this is what this really? person's saying and maybe you should consider this and I'd, I'd be cautious. I'd know the things that would cause them to have arguments. So mm. I'd try to stop them from coming up. If I if I felt it coming up at like the family dinner table, I'd try to divert the conversation so they wouldn't go down there and I'd look up things. Actually, on the home computer because we didn't have, back then we didn't have laptops and things, what the divorce rate was and all those things and I'd just try and think of every single reason why they shouldn't separate. And when I really think of why, it was because I was so worried about what other people would think and that I wouldn't have like an, in quotation marks, normal Mm. family. And in coming through that and when I could kind of start talking about it and my friends literally couldn't have cared less, obviously. Yes. What I learned and seeing both my parents, they were so much happier without each other. Yeah. I then wasn't worried that my friends were over and they were going to argue or any of those things because they weren't in each other's space anymore. So they had separate lives and we were so much happier and better off. But So I can, I can see that now. And by the time I was probably in kind of year 9 to 10, I was absolutely okay with it. But in those early years, I, I think especially too because you're going into high school and my high school, I was the only person from my school that had gone there. So yes. you're kind of trying to, I suppose, make a good impression on people. And again, not that anyone cares and it doesn't matter No, but what when family you're, young, you're from. You just want to fit in. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. And I think when I think too about, it's so interesting the things that we think that matter when we're growing yes. up, you know, in high school and we had casual dress day once a term. And I remember that was so, everyone would think about it and what you wore was so important mm. and you'd want to have nice clothes and new clothes. And I remember on the times that I didn't have I didn't get new clothes every single month or whatever, like some of my friends did. I just remember feeling so inadequate, like I wasn't worthy of, you know, acceptance or in my school or friends or all of those things. And it's just, it's so crazy to reflect on how much I let that affect me. I remember even in primary school, when I was really, really young, it would have been prep, I would say, prep or grade one. For Christmas, we always got one present each. That was yes. what we got. I think we got to spend, well, Santa, in quotation marks, maybe spent $80 or something on a present, which is so lovely and we were so lucky to yeah. get that. And I remember I got this present and I, I can't remember what it was, but I loved it. I thought it was so special. I remember going into school and we would then kind of talk to our friends or maybe we went around a circle to speak about what, what everyone got for Christmas yeah. and how their Christmases was. 
And I remember by the time it got around to me, I started walking into that classroom and I was so happy about what my present was and I was so excited to tell everyone. But then by the time it got around to me, I'd heard that most people got 10 presents, five presents, Mm. huge presents. Mine was like, you know, some people like, oh, I got a small present, which was mine. And then they, I also got whatever X, Y, Z. And by the time it came around to me, all of the joy that I had in that gift was gone. And my perception of if it was special or not had completely changed Mm. and it it wasn't special and I was then embarrassed by it. So I said, I don't don't remember what I got for Christmas. And I I think in reflecting on that, it just, especially through, it's something that I think with social media, it impacts us so much, but comparison truly is the biggest thief of joy in the whole world. Because you can, if you compare what you have or what you don't have, it completely can take away Mm. what that is. And if we do that for our full lives, we're never, ever, ever going to, you know, find happiness. I totally agree with that. I mean, that happens now with social media when you're looking Mm. at other people and you're thinking, but they've done this and they've done that and I haven't done this yet or they look like this or whatever people look at uh, that can get people really down. I wonder when you reflect on your life, which you said you've obviously been doing because you've got your beautiful new book out, but you said your mum brought you up and there seemed to be a lack mentality when it came to money. And so the opposite happened to you, which is really good. You went out and you did your own thing. But then people sometimes have this scarcity mindset Mm. around money. They can grow into adults and think you have to work hard to get money and money doesn't grow on trees. Money is the root of all evil and which can really not be great in your older years or also the fact that they used to fight in front of you and I can only imagine this little 10-year-old who had to grow up so much faster than most 10-year-olds because they were trying to make sure their parents were okay. And then, hey, like I was 10, Mm. you know, my son's 10. They're sensitive little things. And I think sometimes parents feel like, oh, they're young, they don't take it in. They are like sponges. So, yeah, I wonder how you think about your parents when you reflect on your childhood. Oh, it's interesting. I, I'm not for a second ever, ever resented it. I think, I mean, actually, when I was in year seven, I was so mad at them for not staying together because yes. I was like, this is making us not a normal family. Why can't we just be normal? But there is no way in the world I would be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for my upbringing. And it's interesting, my relationship with money, it is something that it's definitely, as I've now got, because what, what I wanted was financial freedom, yes. in, which is definitely completely can be defined differently for, for so many people, yes. obviously. Yeah. yeah. But for me, it was just that money, my definition is that money is not a root of problems within my relationships in my life. Yes. And I'm not worrying that I'm not going to have enough money to pay my mortgage or whatever, whatever that might be. But what's been really interesting is there were lots of things that I thought growing up would bring me a lot of joy in terms of success. Mm. Buying a designer bag or having a really nice car, all, all, all of those kind of things that I think we think, oh, when, when we have success in quotation marks, yeah. like we can have all these things yes. and it will bring us so much joy. And I've actually had a really different relationship with, I still definitely have nice things and I, I do work really hard and I, it's like I've, I have this really hard relationship because I'm not putting it on a credit card, like I'm working for it. And if I want to buy something for myself, I should be able to without feeling guilty. But I also do feel really guilty because every time I buy something, I might think, oh, you know, this is this much money. This could also do all these things. I should save this. This is not a good use of money. So it is definitely that, I suppose, scarcity mindset. But that's okay too, because I think what I've learned to me is while I do have some designer things and I don't have a lot of them, but I have have some of them, 
it's not something that I have thought about in terms of my money values that means a lot to me. So while I have a small amount, it's not something that I'm not going to define my life by Mm. how many bags I have. Working through that and what I value and what's important to me has really helped me because I think what I've also learned is you always want more. There's no, I think we think, oh, we get this pay rise or we get this job. So true. Then I'm going to have enough money to do this. But then when you have enough money to do that, then you want the next thing. Yeah. And then Once it's I like, have that Gucci bag, I will feel so good about myself. Exactly. Yeah, I won't need any more bags. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like like we we moved house recently and we were in a townhouse and the it was a really, really modern, beautiful house, but we didn't have a backyard. Yeah. And I, and but when we first moved into that house, I was like, Wow, I can't believe I live here. This is my dream house in mm. the whole world. And we do have two very large dogs and they were in this tiny backyard. <laughs> so we truly we live our life for our dogs, my husband and I. So like, as long as they're happy. Yes. We moved into a bigger house with the, or a house with a backyard. Yeah. It's interesting because in our old house, that when we first moved in, I was like, oh my God, wow, I would never need anything more than that. But then it's interesting within a year, we were like, oh, actually, we really need. And when I say need, yeah. you don't need really. Yes. Like, as long yeah. as you have a roof over your head, you're fine. It, it's important to check yourself because otherwise you can get caught up in just the grass is greener mm. on the other side. Okay, now I'm here. Oh, but now I want this. So you have to find fulfillment obviously in what you're doing because it is interesting growing up I thought money was if you had money your whole life would be fine yeah because when we didn't it wasn't fine yes but now I'm in a situation where I do have financial freedom and money only makes you happy up to a point where it doesn't cause you stress and then it's not going to solve problems for you and that's something that I've learned why when people compare on social media and and everything Mm. it's just so important to remember that Having things like other people, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to bring you, make you feel more accepted or fulfilled or good within yourself. You have to find it in other areas. How do you find it? My self-worth is very much tied to my work in Kick, Mm. which which I love and I dedicate a lot of time to it, which I'm very, very happy to do and I feel really, really lucky to do. But I think for me it's I find joy in making other people happy. And we do that in Kick. I was reflecting actually on, I was listening to the episode you did with Hamish Blake. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was talking about, you know, he's so lucky he gets to go to work and and make people happy. And I think that's why too, like with the podcast, for example, I love doing that because, I mean, Steph and I, um, who I host the podcast with and the other co-founder of Kik and my best friend, it's amazing we get to spend time together and, you know, have these conversations, but we have so much fun. And I know that it does bring people joy. And, we, Mm. you know, you hear that and and you were too with your podcast when you hear that the work that you have done Someone might have been going through the hardest year or week or whatever of their life and you could bring them a little bit of joy. Oh, it's the most fulfilling thing I think that I have ever experienced. To know that you're helping someone on their journey is just like what more could you need in life? And I believe that's why we're here, to kind of help each other. And I always quote this beautiful teacher called Ramdas who passed away a couple of years ago and he says, we're all here to walk each other home. And I just think that's so beautiful and it really kind of epitomises the idea of service. And they always say if you're in a bad mood or if something's happened to you, call someone else and help them with their problems because that will make you feel (laughs) so much better. It does, 100%. And I think too it's what else I've found is that we kind of think that success is this destination. And again, I'm so sorry, it's not like a Pinterest um, <laughs> board, but the life is not a destination. Life yeah. is the journey. If we spend our entire life trying to get, or just say our 20s, we spend all of our 20s trying to get this promotion to this mm. or to grow in the career ladder or whatever it might be, 
you're then spending 10 years for one moment that once you get into that moment, I, I can't remember there's science around it, I think it lasts for 48 hours, yeah. the feeling of joy and that kind of, wow, all the adrenaline's running through your body, I've done this. That goes. Then you're going to start, okay, now I've got this role. What's the next role? Like what's mm. next for me? And so if we live our life and we only get joy yes. every two or three years when that's happening, we're wasting literally 99.9% yeah. of our lives. So it's just trying to, to find that joy and, and knowing that it's, again, happiness. You don't get to a point where you're like, I'm happy. Now I don't need to have to do any self-work, <laughs> yeah. right? It's knowing that it, it's up and it's down and that's okay, but you have to find it in the journey. Yes. Because life is not a destination. Life is a journey. Absolutely. I wonder if you've ever thought about this before, because a lot of my studies they talk about this joy, which is different to happiness because mm. we find it within. And what if the idea of what if everything was taken away from you, you know, your job, your because you, we identify ourselves by things like I'm Sarah, I have a podcast mm. and my podcast is very much me. It's like my identity and Kik for you is, Laura's mm. done so much with Kik and it's a beautiful brand. If that was taken away, then would you feel fulfilled in yourself and how do you get to that place where you would be okay? Oh, I mean, that's such a good question. And I often think about that if there was no Kik, who would I be? Yeah. And what would I be doing? It's interesting because I say I think my life would have taken a different path and I'd probably be a lawyer, which I'm sure I could find joy in. I would have been a horrible lawyer, I think. <laughs> which my lecturer told me that too because he said you can't just – you have to represent your client. You can't just represent the one that you think has done the yes. wrong thing or the bad thing. I'm like, yeah, I know. So – and I don't know if I would have gone down that, that path. But as I said before, like that's something that I – right now I don't have – kids. We have our dogs and I have yes. my husband. Your dogs but, are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I have a dog. I love her. <laughs> they're, they're, the best. Yeah. they're the best in the whole world. But my identity is very much my work. And I think that's because with Kik, we started it because of, um, and for anyone listening that doesn't know, Kik is a health and wellness app. And through movement, mindfulness and nutrition, we help people find their healthier recipe for a happier and healthier life or their personal recipe. And through the work we do with Kik, the reason we started it was because of the personal experiences Steph and I had gone through with how we felt about our bodies. And, yes. And we both went through our different journeys with disordered eating and feeling like we our worth was in our weight, which mm. is absolutely not the case. But at the same time, moving your body, eating well, looking after your mind is really important. So we wanted to create a safe place for that. And because Kik has been founded on our personal experience and I mean, it's evolved beyond what we ever, ever could have dreamed of and our personal values. It is very, very intertwined into who we are. And yes. I think it's why we live and breathe it literally 24-7. And it's made it really easy to do that because it's, it kind of feels like an extension of us. But yeah. it is a good question. I, I truly, I don't know who I am without Kit. I know that you do meditation as I do. Like meditation mm. is my big thing that I love so much. And I, I feel it has honestly changed my life. And I do so many different meditations. But it's an interesting place to get to. It's like you get to that space of nothingness and almost lose yourself. And then you feel all those feelings of the subconscious kind of come up and start talking to you. And that I feel sometimes is the place where I can feel such joy. Mm. And that's kind of where I feel like that's where I need to get to, okay? In my eyes, open life, this is where I need to get to, to this place of absolute resilience and steadiness. 
always being centred and unshakable. It's like you hear Mm. people become redundant after working a role 40 years and then they lose themselves a lot. Anyone would. What I'm trying to work through with work is that if something doesn't go well, it's like when I used to put all of my value into what my body looked like. That's what I thought mattered so much. Anyway, everyone listening, obviously it does not matter. But that to me, when when I was modelling and I wouldn't get a job, that's how you can get in a really horrible place with shame because if something goes wrong or, you, I don't know, someone rejects you, you don't think you're not separate from the thing. Yes. It's you. Yes. So if I present something and I do a bad job, instead of leaving the presentation at work and thinking I wasn't prepared because I had a really, really busy week and like, or maybe it's the, the people in the room hadn't done the prep work, whatever it might be. There's so many reasons that something doesn't go right. Instead, I would leave the room and say, I didn't do a good job because I, I'm i not good enough at yes. my job. And then you get into this really horrible shame mentality mm. and you can't solve it when you say, I mucked up because I'm stupid, I'm shit, I'm not good enough to be here and all that kind of imposter syndrome stuff. Solving that is very yes. hard because you're not separating the problem from you and so how are you going to find... Mm. a solution and you you can become really self-deprecating and basically you just get into a mindset of self-sabotage. And so that is something that I have had to really work through because it is really risky if your entire existence is tied into your work or whatever. I I don't know what it's like having kids because obviously I don't have kids, but if if your self-whole worth was being an amazing mum, what if your baby wakes up and says, I know he's 10, but... (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, mine's not tied into being my kids anyway. (laughs) But I see women that are, and a lot of them actually have told me that they then listen to the podcast and they might be in their 50s and what happens is they maybe left their jobs when they were they got married and then they went on to look after their kids, which mm. as we all both know is a very important role and not an easy one. But then their identity got so put in their children that they get to this stage where they've been out of the workforce for so many years and they're now in their 50s and they're like, my God, my kids don't really need me as much. Mm. My husband's just working the whole time. Maybe financially they're fine. I don't know who I am now. And, yeah, I think that's been a, why a lot of people have moved into personal development work and meditation mm-hmm. and exercise and all these beautiful things because they're starting to realise that they have put their identity in something beyond themselves. Mm especially when it's out of your control. Yeah. That's what's hard. And we can't control, something I've had to work through a lot is what others think of me and judgment. If something is extrinsic, we can't control, we can't control it. We have no control over what people think of me or what people think of us. And so if we tie our entire value, whatever it might be, wherever it is in our life, there's, you know, we get judged every single day. We are never, ever, ever going to feel fulfilled in ourselves. And we're setting ourselves up for failure yes. every single day because you don't know how someone's going to react to you. And our value as humans, we're not put on this earth to be liked by every single person in the world, <laughs> well, right? That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. I know. But we're also conditioned to think that way, yeah. though. That's something that I've had to do a lot of personal work on to try and disconnect Yeah. that. But it is really hard and... And something you don't get to a point where you just don't care what anyone thinks because you still need to care about what people think, obviously. Yes, and it's good for people giving you feedback and things like that because no one's really close people to you. But then there's also there's also the where you kind of let it control your entire life and it's everyone that you ever speak to what they think matters. It's interesting because you mentioned modelling before and that was obviously something you did when you were younger. I mean, you probably still do some of it now. 
But I wonder, you know, my short-term acting career... <laughs> where I had an agent oh, love when it. I was like, I loved acting when I yes. was young and then I got into it and I wanted to be a Hollywood star. <laughs> and anyway, at the few auditions that I went to, yes. I didn't even have to say anything. It was just stand to the camera straight, turn to the left, turn to the right. Thank you very much, kind of. And this mm. was for ads. I got a couple of them, but I didn't get a lot of them. You feel rejected. Oh, I didn't get that. Mm. And I wonder for you when that for a period of time was your actual career how you were able to not let that suffocate you? Well, I think for me, I was lucky because it was always, I'm pretty, not hard on myself, but also realistic. Yes. I knew that I didn't look like Miranda Kerr because at the end of the day, modelling is 100% based on the way that you look because I know too, there are people in the industry not super famous, but that work a lot, yeah. that might treat their clients horribly, turn up late, but they still get the jobs because they look... It's, it's Honestly, if someone shoots really well for a client and they sell their clothes, there's a lot more tolerance for all the other things yes. if they look good. So it really is predominantly on looks. And so I knew and look like Miranda Kerr. For example, when Steph and I first met, she was working five days a week. I was lucky to work one day a month. Yeah. So, <laughs> But that's fine. You've got to be yeah, realistic, yeah. right? So if like every other brunette girl in Melbourne was sick or booked, yeah. they'd be like, we'll call Laura. You know, that's fine. But it was paid way better. Yes. For, it was great, especially when I was at uni, I worked less, paid better than waitressing yes. basically. However, it doesn't mean that it didn't then affect me. And I did. I did develop disordered eating. It was from social media and modelling combined. But I remember there was one moment. It was for a TV commercial, actually. First I got there and we'd, it would have been, maybe it was around 2017 or something. So Kik was starting to grow. And I would, we'd been at meetings and I was wearing black, like a suit pants or something and a top. And it was literally 18 degrees and raining. And I got in there and they were like, oh, you didn't read the brief. You're meant to be in a summer dress. And I was like, well, I didn't have time to yeah. be in it. Anyway, so it was in my head. I'm like, yes, oh. and I'm cold. And then I got my <laughs> sheet thing and I had to fill out my measurements. And I remember thinking, I don't know them anymore because I'd kind of stopped doing yes. it. As, but I was still doing a little bit. This is, oh, and I, I put them down. It, it made me really angry. And then I went in there and they said, okay, we want you to pretend you're walking through a forest I'm so awkward. I just can't act. I can't reenact things. I just, I started doing it and the lady was like, oh, so have you done much of this before? And I was like, no, I haven't. She was like, oh, well, maybe if it's your job, like you should practice a little bit more. And again, in that You're moment. like, what, walking through a forest yeah. in my spare time? <laughs> like, like this fake forest. And going to auditions, it's so awkward because they say a forest, but there's one chair in the middle of the room and there's three people staring at you and it's just horrific. Anyway, but in that moment, I left that room. And I was so angry. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, hang on, why don't you ask me the other things that I do? What about the business that I run? I'm doing uni as well and all these other things. And I, I got in my car and I thought, I can't be angry at these, these people because I went there. It was for a modelling job, so they needed to know my measurements. But I yes. was annoyed that they valued me based on my acting abilities and my body measurements. Mm. And so at that moment, I messaged my agent and I said, I don't want to do these jobs anymore. I don't, I wouldn't say do modelling now. For example, I was on the Women's Health cover yes. recently, but that's booked for me. They don't expect me to be there and be some supermodel. They just book me yeah. usually to speak about kick, which is incredible. But aside from that, I'm, I don't really do anything because I realised that I was putting myself in a situation where to no fault of anyone, your value is 
based on your worth and that's the industry. And I was not interested. Mm. This is not where I want to put myself right now. Um, and I can't take this anger everywhere I go because it's not fair on <laughs> the poor people that, you know, I, I, I wasted their time because yes. I didn't take what they were doing seriously. I'm done with this now. And that was, that, that was the moment. It's such an interesting thing as well. It's not like they treated you badly. No, they didn't. But I think you get to a point in life when you know you're over something. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you a funny story <laughs> that came to me when you were telling that story. So in my short-lived acting career, yes. I did some extra work and they were like being extra on Neighbours. And long I was, days, aren't yes, they? Yes, yeah. long days. I was yeah. 18. So I drove down there. It was pouring <laughs> with rain. It was a Melbourne day, cold, pouring with rain, I remember. Anyway... The extras get treated not very well. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So we're in this room and then they tell us to come out to this other area and we're in a dress and there were some other people around me and we're standing outside in the freezing cold, I'm not exaggerating, for about three and a half (laughs) hours and we didn't do one thing. They hadn't started shooting. We were there. I, I literally think it was about eight degrees and I just thought to myself what am I doing? Like, and I said to the guy that was head of the extras, I can't work like this. (laughs) It's freezing. I am so cold right now. And we're not even doing anything. Are we able to like go inside or just be in a warmer area? And I think at that time I was the only person that had ever spoken up (laughs) because he freaked (laughs) and was like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. 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 Kind of thing. They never booked me to ever come out there ever again. (laughs) But it was an interesting thing because I thought to myself, they didn't treat me badly, but it was, I clicked that this is not for me. Mm. And I've been put in a situation where I don't feel comfortable and I'm going to do something about it. And we both removed ourselves from those situations. Mm. But it's interesting to anyone listening, if you're in a situation like that and you feel you can't talk up or you don't have the confidence Mm. or you think you're not going to be able to do anything else, that's not always the case. You've got to do what you feel is right for yourself. Mm. And I think that's a really important lesson. It's so true and it's one of those things that I think too, in that situation I was really lucky because I had another job and it was my side job so I could move away from it. But of course that's absolutely not always the case, but it, it is true. It's, it's something that I love that you say, and I want you to say because I'm going to get it wrong, but how life doesn't happen to you. Life happens for you, not to you. Exactly yeah. right. And I think that is such a great lesson yes. for everyone yeah. in life because I think in that situation, I had a choice. I could have been really angry at the world and the way that it, the modelling industry puts worth on the way that you look and that is yeah. so not aligned with my personal values and it's literally everything that we're against at kick. And so I could have stayed in it and just got really angry about it or I could remove myself from it because I am in control of my life. And I think sometimes we forget that we're in control of how we react to things. And it's really hard in life if you, I'm usually quite a positive person and that helps a lot, but I I know a lot of people that I've come across in life that are quite negative and Mm. It's really hard to see because it's they're putting every they're frustrated about people they're with their friends or whatever it might be, and sometimes it is people are hard done by absolutely, but we can complain and complain and complain. But until we make a change in our life and get out of that situation, we're just going to be in the same well, situation. That's it. That's and it's it. like we're waiting for someone to come and say yes. 
Yeah. You know, everything's wrong around you. I'm going to take you out and put you in this new era. No one's going to do that. Yeah. No one's going to save you. It's like if we have our confidence on, if we, for me, something that I had to work through is when my confidence was tied to validation from other people and what other people thought of me. I had to disconnect from that because otherwise I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I'm not getting any validation. I'm not getting these feelings, so I'm going to feel shit. And because I was waiting on other people to make me feel confident in yes. who I was, but that is up to me. And it's a hard lesson to learn, but it is, it is so important. It's so interesting you talk about external validation, which I think if anyone's in the public eye, they get used to this external validation. Yeah. And it is, it's like a drug. Mm. You get a little bit of it and then you're, you get more and more and more. And I can only imagine when you're, you know, this huge star, the amount that people would feed off that. But with that positive praise comes negative praise as well. And I remember years ago I was interviewing someone and she said something that really it rang so true. She said, you know that you've made it if you start getting a lot of mm. negative comments too, because that means a lot more people are seeing you. It's not that just bubble of people that really like your yeah. stuff, but it doesn't make it any easier when it comes. And I wonder for you who has a big presence on social media, how do you deal with negative comments? And I know there has been some really negative comments at times, as there is to a lot mm. of people in the public eye. I think, well, I mean, in terms of the comments I get, so I used to, and, and I think this is shows to when you do the work, you do the personal development, yes. you do the work, you can move through it. And so for me, if someone makes a comment about the way that I look, someone could say, write the most offensive, I don't know what, power, I, it doesn't, I, I, I now put zero value on it. Yeah. So I don't care. I literally think it's funny that they How wrote it. How did you get to that point of doing that? Did you go to a psychologist? Was there someone that said to you some words of wisdom? I think it was just that realisation that I am so much more than my weight and no one, it, this sounds so silly, but I always come back to this. And on the day that I pass away on this earth and I'm at my funeral, well, I, no one is going to get up there and say, I loved Laura because she had a six pack yeah. or I loved Laura because she was a size eight. That is so ridiculous. And, so, and then if I come back to true, like what is my personal value? What mm. brings me, what we were talking about before is making other people happy. My body does not do that. Mm. It has nothing to do with it. So I think it was working through, and it did take me quite a while, but working through what I value and what is important to me. Well, you know when you, you, you do work and you just feel so fulfilled and like it's lighting your, lighting your fire up yes. and with everything we do with kick, that's that for me. But when it was all based around the way that my body looked, you can't change it. I think that's a, the other thing. I think in something that I learned kind of through my childhood was, was that lesson that the harder you work, usually depending, of course, there's always privilege in there, but usually the luckier or more successful yes. you'll get. What you put in, you get out, usually. And so that doesn't really apply to the bottling industry. There is definitely skill to it, which I never got, so that, that didn't help. But we genetically look the way that we look yeah. and we can't change that. So, again, it, it, I was putting myself in a position where I was tying my entire worth to something that I couldn't control. It's like at work, if you have a colleague that you're just trying to impress or a friend, but that colleague, for example, if you have a really bad relationship with a colleague and or your boss or whoever it might be, if you spend your whole life trying to get validation from them, they might have issues going on that they're never going to give it to you mm. and you can never control that. So yeah. I think it was just realising this. I just had this moment where I was like, I can't control this and I'm valuing everything on it. And I was then able to say, okay, no, this is what I care about. 
that's not in what I care about. So yes. So that I find when people come on my body, I also have to obviously acknowledge that I live in a size eight white person's body. So I am accepted by, you know, the way that the media says that we should look. Usually my body is represented yes. there. And so that's why obviously more diversity and representation is so, so, so important. Because if you can see yourself, you're more likely to feel included, right? But that, that's the body side. But then I think the thing with trolls that does affect me is if, if something comes into that bucket of things that I really care about, like making people feel good and especially with kick, making people feel like that they are enough no matter what their body looks like and doesn't matter how many workouts they do or what they're eating or whatever it might be, it's about how they feel. If someone trolls me on that, that's what I really, really struggle with because I care about it so much. But I think with that... One of my girlfriends, Michelle Andrews, who from Shameless Podcast, who's amazing, she told me something once and it stuck with me forever and it was something that a psychologist told her. Think of someone that you love, like Taylor Swift, for example, who's extremely successful, like Taylor Swift is very good at her job, (laughs) and go and read the reviews of her album. Yes. There are people that love Taylor Swift and there are people that hate her and they comment, oh, I hate this music, it's so shit, this is your worst album. And I think... That for me, that realisation of someone can be as successful as Taylor Swift and people are still not going to think that she's very good at her job. So if she's like that, we're never going to get to a point where there's no negative criticism. We just have to find a way to not let it be louder. Mm. This is something that Seth and I often, we're very different in how we look at reviews on our podcast or whatever. Seth's like, I don't want to look at it because I think it is true if you're going to feed your ego by looking at, which I think if you really ask yourself what you're doing, it's what you're doing if you're reading them the positive ones, then you've got to read the negative ones, right? Absolutely. And the negative ones are always 100%. They're louder. It's like they're shouting and then the soft <laughs> ones, you forget them all. So Seth just doesn't read them. I like reading them because I, I do like often sometimes for constructive yes, feedback and, good. you know, to yes. improve. But then there's a line with that. It's just knowing that not everyone's going to like us and if I let my life be defined by the trolls that will always be there, then that's on me. Like, it's my choice. For me, I love Oprah, right? Yes, and so when I went and looked at the reviews of her podcast and the exact thing happened, yep. Oprah is one of the best interviewers in the world. Like, honestly, if people say that she's not, then really, I, I don't know. I just think she's wonderful. Anyway, and she's so gifted at what she does. And there were those really nice comments, but then also the negative ones. So I think your point rings home so true mm. that... Yes, you'll always get a bit of both. But I wonder for you, has there been times where it's gotten to you too much? Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I'm so lucky to work with Steph being my best friend and business partner in Kick that often in those situations where it does, because it definitely gets through sometimes, I'll be able to speak to her about it and she'll either laugh and say, can you hear yourself? I'm like, very true. Yes, I can. <laughs> I'll stop now. Or we'll, we'll talk through it. And that really, really helps. But there's, it's absolutely been the case. And I think for me, especially with my role as CEO of Kick, which I've had now almost for two years, before Steph and I, we're both obviously co-founders, but we hadn't really defined our roles yeah. in the business. And having that role is a lot of responsibility. I don't have a lot of experience in it, obviously. I do think it's very important to think that you're the best person for the role if you're going to run your company. Yes. Otherwise, you're not doing the best thing by your company. But I, there's a lot of things that I can and need to and will continue to improve in. And so I know that I have a choice when I get something wrong, which I do, I make mistakes all the time, or I, I don't know, here's something, a feedback on how I've led or whatever it might be. I have a choice to either let that get to me and give up my role and go and do something else that won't feel true to me. Yes. Or 
I can take it on board. If it's uh, constructive, absolutely take it on because I know that I'm always growing and I've absolutely accepted that and continue doing what I love. And so I think that is what I always come back to. Like public speaking for me is something that I used to get so nervous about. Yeah. But I love it. And when I finish, you know when you finish, yes, you always feel, you're like, just like, oh, oh, you feel so fulfilled yeah. and happy. And it's also a way to be able to speak to a bigger yes. room of people and help them really feel good, right? Which is if I come back to my personal value, it's really, really important yeah. to me. And that makes me really nervous. And so I always have this thought before I'm about to do it of, oh my God, who do I think I am? Like imposter syndrome. No one's going to care what I have to say. Why am I doing this? And I want to pull out. But then I think to myself, if I pull out, I'm just going to stay in my comfort zone Mm. for my entire life. And if we stay in our comfort zones, we're not living a life for ourselves. We're living a life for other people. Someone might say you're a shit public speaker or whatever, or you might want to start a business and they might say... Oh, for example, when we started our podcast, people would write, you you and Steph, you know, you should just stay in your lane. You, you're you really? really good at running kick, yeah. but you don't really know how to interview, so maybe <laughs> you should just not do it. And that's truly, people, if yeah. you go back long, far enough, yes. you see that in our reviews. And I remember reading that and thinking, obviously it's, it's kind of a pretty toxic thing to write on someone's thing. Like imagine if when you first start anything, you expect to be the best at it. Yeah. But then if we had taken that comment and thought, you know what, we and I, like talking for myself, I did not know how to interview people. It is really hard yes. and it's taken it's time, right? It's such an It is. It is. You don't expect to make the AFL or, you know, play in the NBA if yeah. you've never played basketball or football before. You have to have time to practice. Practice makes you better. Absolutely. And so if we had have listened to that comment and thought, you know what, they're right. We should just stay to what we're doing. We wouldn't be doing the podcast now. And it's something that brings us so much joy. And mm. we've improved every single year as, you know, we've practiced and practiced and practiced. And so I think that's what helps me is going back to that, that I've got this comment here. And it's like when imposter syndrome comes into my head and says like, oh, should you be doing this? You know, you're not good enough or all those things that we all have that come into our head. Yes, I can listen to it and not do anything and just keep doing what I'm doing. And then I'll have, I, I think about, my life so far. I've, I'm 30. I've still got so many years to live. I don't want to just live in the same comfort zone that I've, yeah. you know, that, that would be such a sad life knowing there's nothing new and exciting yes. and, and ways to grow and challenge myself. I think it's amazing that we evolve every single day we're on this planet. But I could listen to it or I could, you know, I say to myself, okay, thank you, imposter syndrome, like for telling me that this is scary or that I haven't done it before or it's going to be hard. I literally will say out loud, thank you for coming. i I know you're trying to protect me, but I don't want to say my comfort zone. So, and I just put it aside. So if I'm going to do a talk, a public talk, I'll like literally in my head kind of, it's almost like with manifestation, what we're talking about. I say, okay, I'm going to leave that on the side of the stage and I'm going to go out there and and I'm going to do my best. And what's, what's the worst that, that would happen? I remember hearing that years ago. What is the worst that's going to happen? The worst thing that can happen is that you die. That's true. That's very true. It's morbid, but true. You're not going to die <laughs> yeah, giving exactly right. a speech. You hope not. Like, yeah. you know, the, the percentage chance of you dying Unless giving you're a speech but yeah. exactly, <laughs> is so low. Yes. And so when you actually put it into perspective, you're like, I've got this. Mm. Exactly what you were saying. The more you do it, the more you get better at it. Studying the unknown has been a big part of my work. When we're in the known, we're in the stale repetition of our past, outworn mm. memories, right? Because we're doing the same thing every day. So what we're doing is just from what we remember from the day before, from mm. the day up before that and so forth. When we step into the unknown, we step into the field of all possibilities. 
And that's how we create from the unknown, not from the known. Mm. And I just think that whole idea of not being in your comfort zone and taking that leap. I mean, if you reflect on your life, how many things have brought you joy from when you've leapt? So many. Mm. Even for me, doing this podcast has brought me so much joy. And that's like you. I just gave it a go and it worked out. And yes, sometimes things don't work out, but we learn from them. If we're in Mm. the known, we become bored and miserable. It's that comfort zone Mm. where, okay, we're comfortable. We're comfortable being miserable and complaining about our life. But when we go out of the box, it's like, whoa, that was scary. But man, that was so cool. (laughs) And look what I've achieved from doing that. So I think it's, Mm. yeah, it's so pertinent in living a joyful life and a fruitful life is really Mm. taking that next step that might seem scary. When you get there, you realise it's not so bad and then the next step opens for you and then the next and the next, but it won't unless you open that door yourself. Oh, 100%. And I I think for you as well, and I wanted to ask you this, when you went from producing to being on the other side of the microphone, I'm sure there would have been people in the industry, as there always is or in any workplace, that we we put people in boxes and we say, okay, this is what this person does. So you know, for me, when I started, I was studying law and then started my business before Kick. And then when we started Kick, people like, oh no, the box I put you in was this one. You were going to be a lawyer and you were going to, you know, go and now you're starting your own business and now you're doing these things. Oh no. And then you think, oh, who do they think they are? But it's like, hang on, let's question ourselves. Why do I have any, why should I care about what you're doing in your life? I'll put you in a box and think that I can decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So I feel like you would have had to, and I wonder, did you have to work through like worrying about judgment of people being like, well, you're changing from, you know, one side to the other side? Yes. It's funny you say that because no one said anything, but I felt like at the start, quite a few years Mm. ago, it was like, those opportunities wouldn't come to me as fast as someone else because they didn't look at me as being the talent, but more so as the producer. And then, you know, and I'm sure this probably happened to you, where there's some people in your life that just see the greatness in you. And for me, that was the head of podcasting here and at the time, the GM, and they just saw this light in me that I felt that I saw Mm. as well. And they gave me these big opportunities and they really backed me when they did that. Mm. So I'm happy that I lived up to their (laughs) expectations. But I almost felt like it was like having these two dads that were really just seeing me in, in a different way. And I always, when I reflect on my life, feel so grateful to them mm. because they saw something in me that allowed me to grow a bit further. Because even though, yes, we see it in ourselves, which is the number one thing, when we're helped by someone else that sees our lives, mm. it makes such a difference. But yes, no, I think there were times where I kind of was working through that And I felt that probably I had to prove myself. But one thing that never dimmed in me was the fact that I knew that it was going to be good. I don't know if you, when you guys started your podcast, KickPod, if you thought this is going to work really well. Mm -hmm. I had this memory where I posted my first video for the podcast. I think it was the trailer for the first season, like this podcast Mm -hmm. has just launched And in my mind, and I think this was a bit of a manifesting thing too, I posted and I was like, yep, this is the start of something really decent. I know this is going to be good. And that inner knowing carried me along my journey. 
And I think that having that within yourself and not needing it always from the external will get you further in the long run. And even though it is also, like I said, good to have those people around you. And I think when I say that, I think about teachers in our life and anyone Mm. listening that can help other people see their light, especially when they're kids, I think that's so important. Give that compliment to that person if you really think it, because that will really make their day. And that little bit of information Mm. that you seeing their light or that they were good at something might catapult them into a career they may never have gone. But I think, yes, having that within yourself Mm. and that knowing is also really important. Oh, it's so true. We are responsible for believing in ourselves. And I, I think absolutely with Kik and everything we do, the podcast and everything, we knew that we could do it or we wouldn't have. There's, you don't want to go into something and I think it's like if you go into something knowing, oh, we're not really good at this, we don't really want to do it, yeah. we don't think it's going to be successful, we knew that we could do a really, really great podcast and we had we had that belief and that was really, really important and that's why like that review that came in, we were like, well, that's quite funny that they yeah. would write that. And at the time it definitely did. It was something I read it and thought, oh, my goodness, like is this, is this true? But it's because of that self belief in what we were doing that we kept going, right? Because yes. you have to have that. And I think if we, we absolutely, we have the people in our lives that will, I agree, I have a teacher that I, I remember that had, that taught me so much in year 12 in my English teacher, Miss Nash, and I wasn't that great at English, but she helped me, even though I wasn't amazing at it, she helped me believe that I could still have success because yes. it was important in what I wanted to do after school. And that, that again was that kind of reinforcement of if you work hard and you dedicate yourself, you can do it. Mm. And so that I absolutely, that made a big, 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 big impact. But then it's so important too to have, you know, you have those people, but then also have that self-belief because no one else in your life is responsible for it other than yourself. And if you're waiting your whole life for someone to believe in you, you've got to put yourself out there. And then then you might come across that teacher or that, you know, that person that's going to help you, but you have to have that. We have to take responsibility for it. Something I see in you, which I think is such a beautiful trait, is that, (laughs) this sounds like a funny thing to say, but (laughs) you take things seriously in the sense that you come to this podcast interview, and I know that you've done research on the podcast, but you take it seriously. Mm. And I wonder, I do the same thing. If I'm going to have someone on the podcast, I absolutely will research them and know their story in a sense as much as I can find back to front. Mm. Because I think that I'm inviting you onto the podcast and I want to be able to ask you the best questions I can for my listeners, but also for you as respect for your time that you've agreed to come on the podcast. And I feel that makes me a better interviewer, but it also has helped me in life. And I wonder for you, because I think that you have the, those same qualities, mm. how that's that's helped you. Because I know there are a lot of people, I'm not saying that this is the wrong way to do it, who do interviews and they actually don't really research at all. Their producer might say, have this person on and that's kind of the... Mm that's all that happens and then they wing it. And I wonder why that research and with everything that you do, I have this feeling is, why that's important to you. Oh, th- thank you. That That's really, really kind. I I think, I mean, it comes back to my childhood and what I learned, especially in, in year 12. I'm sure if I didn't study, I would have passed, but I would have just passed. Yeah. I think it comes back to if when I do feel for people that are naturally very, very gifted in things because I think you then rely on that gift that doesn't matter if you're the most talented, I don't know, 
holding a ball. I have no hand-eye ball, whatever it's called, coordination, so I go there. But if you have the best coordination, if you don't practice that, you're never, ever, ever going to have success in that, right? Because yes. you're just relying on that that kind of, you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. I don't need to try because I'm just good at it. And I think for me, because I, I was just okay, I'm very grateful for being okay at things because it meant to achieve things. For example, with year 12, to get into the course that I wanted to get into, mm. I had to work my ass off. But I taught myself that if I went to the library for 14 hours a day and I prepared and I would, I did everything that I could and I've had to let this go, but it's actually hard because now I really would like to prepare one week for every single thing that I do. But when you're doing a lot of things each week, you can't always <laughs> yes. do that, right? Yes. So it's like trying to find that balance yes. is hard, but preparation is key. And I know if I walk into a room, like when I walked into my year 12 exams and I knew at that moment, yes, I was nervous, but I knew that there is not one thing that I could have done differently to prepare myself to do what I was about to do. And that feeling is something that I got a lot of fulfillment out of, but mm. also it, it taught, and I'm so grateful for it because it's taught me so much, especially, you know, in this industry with podcasting and everything that there's so many podcasts, right? And also to be interviewed is, I mean, it's, it's so, you should never take for granted that someone wants to spend an hour listening to you or talking to yes. you about your life. Like that's, that's pretty special. Every room I go into, I put an expectation on myself that I'm not walking in here with this ego that you should think that I'm great no matter what I say. Yes. It's like I'm going to show to you by the end of this conversation that it was a worthwhile conversation for us Absolutely. to have. And I think sometimes it is hard because I do – I wonder how you work through this too because sometimes I might do a TV interview and if I don't do a great job, I'm not thinking, okay, you've only done one TV interview in the past two months. You haven't done a lot of them. Yes, you prepared, but I'll compare myself to Carrie Bickmore, for example. <laughs> and I'll be like, I'm not at that level. But it's yeah. like, well, she's had, you know, a lot of years of experience. Yes. And she's very good at what she does. But that's sometimes really, really hard. And I that's one thing I struggle with. And I, I am grateful for being quite perfectionist in my work with preparation and everything. But I think too, sometimes it can make me get stuck in the kind of self-sabotage. You know, it's so interesting. The more that you do something, the more it does not matter. Like I remember the first time someone gave me this advice, you need to put more of yourself on social media because at the moment you barely post one photo of yourself. This is years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to post a photo of myself. <laughs> I'm quite a private person and, you know, there's only so much you want to show. And then I started posting photos and I became used to posting photos of myself and now I don't care about mm. posting photos of myself. But the whole, the reason I tell this story is because the more you do it, mm. the more you become comfortable with it. So, yeah, I think that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so true. And it's just, again, why you just have to keep putting yourself out there yes. and not let one, something that I've tried really, really hard to keep reminding myself of, and for anyone listening that struggles with this, I think we so often let one bad experience. I might do an interview and I do a horrible job. So I have a choice. I could listen to that voice in my head that was like, well, you shouldn't be doing interviews because you're not really good at it. Yes. And stop. Or I could take that, learn from it, and then apply it to the next time and keep moving forward. And we so often in our life let, you know, we might go for, we might, running, I love running so, so yeah. much. It's my form of meditation that's my, 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 just makes me so happy and brings me a lot of joy. But running is something that a lot of us think, when I speak to people about it, if you're able to run, you can be a runner. But we so often define if we can be a runner or not. And everyone listening that's able to run, you are a runner. 
it's obviously your choice if you want to do it or not. If you hate running, I know some people just hate it and that's fine. But we so often define our experience with running and if we can be a runner with our our relationship with sport and athletics in school growing up. Mm. So if we never made the team or if we didn't participate in it, we just think, oh, no, that wasn't for me. I can't be that. And we let that one experience, that one race that didn't go well or someone made fun of what we looked like when we were wearing the running outfit, we let that one experience define the rest of our lives. And those people that that person that made that comment that said you weren't a good runner or you shouldn't be wearing that or whatever, they're not in your life anymore. Mm. They're off doing their own thing. Like they left your life 20 years ago, but we're still holding on to that thing that they said or that experience or that yeah, that time it didn't go well. And so letting that go is so important yes. to move forward. Something I want to talk to you about is you've spoken openly in the past before about having anxiety. And I wonder if mm. that still creeps in at all. Yeah, I I mean, I think especially in kind of how I expect perfectionism of myself in all instances, I think it definitely does there because I think I wouldn't be as hard on myself if I wasn't worried. And then I think sometimes it's a gift to me because it it does mean that I prepare for everything, like 110%, right? But I think too it is is something that, for, for example, with my leadership with Kik and in my role at Kik and um, even before I was CEO, just being co-founder, I was so worried about speaking about anxiety or admitting that I have it and that's something that I that is in my day to day online or publicly because obviously if I reveal something publicly on my social media, it's very likely someone in our team will see it, right? Yeah. I was really worried about it because I thought that it meant, no, I can't talk about this because it means that I am flawed and then I'm not good enough to do my job. And then people will be thinking, oh, no, she can't do this because she has anxiety or, you know, whatever it might be. And it was really interesting when I decided to put it out there because I think, too, it came back to uh, obviously one of my key values is making people happy, but then also within that making them feel happy in who they are. We're all flawed and that's, that is, we're yes. all different. We all have imperfections and I don't want anyone to feel alone because I think if you feel alone and isolated, then you're never going to find joy. And so... I was really torn on do I share this because I know that I'm going to be able to help people not feel alone and I feel a responsibility with this platform that I have to use it in a good way and not be not do harm but also I do feel responsibility to help people with it. So I, I shared it and nothing happened. And it was so interesting because I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to be good enough and people are going to, you know, think and I was so worried about it. But then nothing happened and it was fine and I just kept moving through life. And I've, I've had learnings like that that have helped me be more comfortable talking about it. But I think too, it's something that when you're going through it, it is, and I'm really cautious on how I share on social media about anything to do with mental health mm-hmm. because I don't personally share when I'm going through things because I need to have been able to process them to hopefully share. Yes, to be able to give learnings. Learnings and, and not, yeah. not less, not teach, but just give, give yeah. learnings, what things that I learned through it. But I, I think it, it affects me in a little bit in terms of expecting so much of myself. But I think too, I, I like to look at it as a gift as well. I mean, obviously you can definitely manage it, but it is a part of me, I suppose. And I've been able to, I suppose, reframe the way that it doesn't make me flawed. Because I mean, anxiety just is a, such a broad term. I wonder like, what is it that you get anxious about? Is it panic attacks? Is it because there's also nerves, which is kind of different. different. Yeah. And then there's like proper anxiety. Mm. So I, I think for me it's around not doing a good job and letting people down is something I get really 
anxious and worried and wound up about more than is very yeah. that is normal. And then also around, I'm actually quite good now, but social anxiety. I I hate that I'm like this, but I can read people's body language really well in my peripheral. And if someone gives me body language that is not like I'm like, and I, I'm so good at being like, okay, yes. they're not interested. I need to let. So I would go into a conversation and someone is probably, and so I've had to really, really talk through myself and like unpack the worry but someone's on their phone or they've just got a phone call or something. And instead of thinking, oh, they've maybe something's happened at home and they need to take their phone call, I'm like, oh, they took it because they're bored of what I'm... You, you know, you go to the worst yes. case scenario Yeah, they had to go to the all. toilet. Yeah, they had to go because they didn't that, want to talk yeah. to me, right? And then I, even things around like if I do something for my birthday... I'll say a thousand times, if you want to leave, please leave at any time. You don't have to say, like, I, I, and it's like that worry that if people, someone wants to leave, they can leave. They're not leaving because they don't like me or they, that I'm too much or I talk too much or I'm too loud or whatever. But it's like, I have to give people mission and I might ask people, do you want to hang out? But I'll say, oh, only if you have nothing else on. And if something <laughs> else comes on, like, it's fine. Like, please, like, feel free to, you know, take that, do that. That overthinking of everything. Yes. And so that kind of is in a social sense. And then I think too, and it, it can, that can leak into work in terms of just, just worrying about the worst case scenario at all times, but that doesn't do me any good at all. And but what I've really had to learn in my role is that I have to put that aside because otherwise I can't do my role. And yes. I feel very obliged that I need to be the best that I can in my role, which is important. And then the other way it plays up in my life is with my health. I truly think that I am going to be murdered in my house mm. if I'm home alone. And I go to that, like it's that worst case scenario, like you hear one thing and then it's like, okay, this means that, you know, I'm going to, someone's going to come in and get me. And I, it's, yeah. it's so funny. I will sometimes message Steph and she'll be like, Laura, I hate to tell you this, but you're not Kim Kardashian. No one cares and no one's going to try and murder you. Like you're fine, right? And it's just like sometimes you need that, yes. just someone to tell you the reality or anxiety is hard because you go through times like right now I haven't felt super anxious for a while. But then it would just come out of mm. out of nowhere and then you kind of have to then work through again how to work through it. I wonder, say the person coming into your house, where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, I really don't know. And I think it, it's interesting because I'm very, through high school, I resonated on the maths science yeah. side. So probability was one of my favourites. <laughs> it's very bizarre that I loved it, but I really enjoy probability or enjoyed it. And so I understand how to calculate risks yeah. and like how small a 0.0001% is. But it's crazy that even though I have like, that's kind of the side of my brain that I like using the most and then I, I'm a more mathy. I still, I go to that and I, I don't, I really, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing what mm. brings up certain anxieties within us. And we all have them. I mean, I don't think anyone is immune saying nothing has ever made me anxious in my exactly. life. That's emotions and, and the way that we process them. I wonder for you, what is the best advice that you have ever been given? So I think around coming back to hard work, um, something that I read when I was younger, and I, th I have evolved in my thinking around this because as we've spoken about, there is privilege that comes into luck coming and success coming out of hard work. But something that through my early 20s that I always came back to was hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that comes back to not relying on that kind of being okay and having to work mm. to be great as opposed to the other way around. That I really, really, really think come back to. And then the other thing, advice, is that so I've got two, not caring what other people think, which is super basic, but it's just, it's so important yes. to me and my soul. And then knowing that we're, for me, it's something that's been really kind of 
uh, this made me feel so much lighter is knowing that I'm always going to be growing for the rest of my life and evolving and that's okay. Mm. And I'm not always going to get it right. But it's why like with cancel culture, I really think it's unfair the way that we treat people and we cancel them based on one thing that they did. And it's kind of that then makes us, if you think about it, we're then assuming that people can't grow and evolve in their life. Right. But I think it's a really, really beautiful thing that we're always growing. And so if we don't get something right, doesn't mean that we're not good enough to do it or we shouldn't be doing it or we should give up. It just means that we have more growing to do, but that that's what we do yes. every single day. When I was 20, I thought I knew everything and letting that go has been such a, I, I just feel so much lighter and it's just such a, for me, a more fulfilling way to, to live Absolutely. my life. Absolutely. And I think you can learn something and think that's right and then you find out more information and think, oh, actually I've changed my mind. Mm. I think sometimes we get so set on this is, what I'm putting out to the world and I've said this so I can't change my mind but it's human nature for new data to come out in science or mm-hmm. we're constantly finding out mm-hmm. new things I mean even in neuroscience and they how they thought the brain was hardwired at the age of 30 and then they realize it never is hardwired we're always able to change so I I think that learning and wanting to gain that information constantly is such a powerful thing mm. What is your greatest hope for society today? It's interesting because social media has, I completely am aware that without social media, when we started Kick, we didn't have a marketing budget. Also, if we ever did, I don't know, we wouldn't have known what to do with it, <laughs> you know, but we, we, were, we were given this platform and a lot of people have been given this platform to be able to tell people about what they're doing or share their story in, and it would have never been heard before if it wasn't for that. So I think it is really, really beautiful. But I think the other thing with social media is it just creates this area where we are constantly told that we are not good enough and that our achievements or whatever we define success by and don't live up to what other people's do. And so I think my biggest hope for society is that we can, and it's really hard, I don't know how to live in a world without comparison, but I think just if everyone could remember and know that there is always going to be someone with less than us and there is always going to be Mm. someone with more than us. And we should never treat those with less. Everyone should be treated the same. It doesn't matter what they have. It's so, so, so important. But if we don't remember that, then we are never, ever, 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 ever going to find fulfillment or those moments of joy in our lives because we are always going to be chasing something. And no matter what, there is always going to be someone who's on that higher level, whatever you define success by. So you have to let that go. What is a life of greatness to you? For me, it's finding moments in the day where I bring joy to other people, which then bring joy to me. So it's kind of selfish, isn't it? But it is, it's it's that a life of greatness to me is it's not about what I have or item, material items or anything or followers or validation or likes. It's making the people in my life, whoever that may be and whatever platform it is, find joy in moments in their life too. Laura Henshaw, thank you for all the wonderful work you've done with Kick, your new book, Kick Pod. You've really done such amazing work. So thank you so much for that and thank you for the wonderful conversation today. Oh, thank you, Sarah. It was it was so so nice to chat. It's been so nice being able to get to know each other yes. over the past few weeks. Um, and if you haven't listened to Sarah's interview on the Kick Pod, you have to. It was it was so good. You sold me on manifestation, <laughs> truly, in a beautiful way. Bless you, Laura uh, Henshaw. No, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, 
where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. If you enjoyed my episode with Laura, I know a similar episode you might also like. It's with entrepreneur Jessica Seppel. We talk about how your mental state affects your health and well-being, and she shares tips on how to be successful and still look after yourself. Search A Life of Greatness, Jessica Seppel, wherever you get your podcasts. Listener.